This is Melissa Lau, Associate Pastor of Congregational Care and Missions at Wesley Memorial United Methodist Church. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast. Throughout January, we will be exploring a biblical approach to the usage of the Enneagram for our spiritual formation. Please jump in and learn along with us as we go on this transformative journey. Thanks again for listening. God bless. So based on what we covered this past week, if this is your first time with us and you're just jumping in with this, we encourage you to go back and listen to last week um, and listen to especially what Pastor Jeff's sermon was great. And maybe you're hopefully having an idea of what you are on the Enneagram scale. Um, if not, ask someone else. Maybe they'll tell you. Uh, there's lots of tools out there you can take, quick quizzes you can take to give you a better picture maybe of where you are on the spectrum so that we're all sort of along on this journey. But as we said, it's like what we're doing is a very quick take on a lifelong process. It's a very fast few weeks on really the process of sanctification, of growing in holiness, of, of learning more about who we are and how God has made us, what we can do, maybe what we can't do, and how we can be fruitful in our in service and ministry. We can be fruitful, I think, more in our marriages and our jobs. When we know a bit more of how we're designed, we're able to, I think, put our best foot forward. So it's a great sort of re-inventorying of who we are and how we've been made and designed. So in order to go deeper than just hearing a sermon, we do encourage you to go to the Wednesday at 7 Zoom conversations that Pastor Melissa is doing. Uh, we had over 45 people on one Zoom call this past Wednesday night, um, and uh, it's a great time to kind of go a little bit deeper. Uh, check out the resources we have on our website too, books we recommend and things like that, that we, you can and a link to a test you can take. So please check that out. So I'm going to start this morning just by asking you a simple question. Think about a time that your head and your heart and your gut or your instincts, they all just felt completely discombobulated. Maybe that's you today. <laughs> they just felt like all out of whack. Everything felt wrong. You felt like you're walking in quicksand. You're moving upstream. Nothing seems right. Your motivations aren't, you're not being driven by love. You you're really feel full of anger and fear and anxiety and worry and you're overcome by all these feelings. Everything just feels wrong. Or in other words, when you were waiting in line at Costco on a Saturday, so maybe, that, maybe it's similar to how you felt, or maybe Target, whatever, wherever you went on a Saturday. Now think about a time when your head and your heart and your gut, they felt perfectly in line. Your motivations were pure, altruistic, giving, forgiving. Maybe you forgave someone that you never thought you could. You were, you were motivated by pure love, and everything was in harmony. Now, if you're thinking about that, you're probably thinking of a time when you were serving somehow. You were giving of yourself somehow, right? You were, you were uh, maybe, again, forgiving somebody for something they did, and you were, doing, you were showing your best self. Your motivations were pure. Isn't it good to know that it's possible it's possible to show our best self it's with God's help. It's possible to have, if you will, redeemed motivations. We can have a redeemed center of who you are, changed by God's love. That it's possible by, to take off the old self and put on a new self. It's possible. It's miraculous, really. And Paul writes about that in Colossians chapter 3 where he talks about the old self and the new self taking on a totally new motivations, 
a totally new understanding and being transformed by the power of God. Look at what he says in verse five. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly. Don't just put it aside. Kill it. Put these things to death. Whatever in you is earthly. Whatever is motivating you that's selfish and carnal, fleshly. He says, put these things to death. Fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is also just idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed. He's writing to Christian believers. When you were living that life, but put those things to death. You must get rid of these things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you've stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. That we can't have a redeemed motivation, a, a renewed, restored heart, if you will, and everything that will flow out of that heart can be driven by the love of God. And you can think like Jesus more, feel like Jesus more, instinctually more like him. We can't be greater than him, as he said, but we can't be like him. So it's good to know that we can show our best self with God's help. We can show our best motivations. They can be redeemed with God's help. But it's hard. It's really hard. I read a book a few years ago that said that the frontal cortex of our brains aren't fully developed until we're 25 years old. If you didn't know, the frontal cortex of your brain is your decision-making part of your brain. So when my parents looked at me when I was a teenager and said, what were you thinking? And if you, had te- if you have kids, you know, that blank stare. They don't know. I didn't know what I was thinking either. Because your brain's not there yet. Now, if you're a teenager listening to this, don't go home and say, well, mom and dad, I don't know what I'm doing. You're just going to have to figure it out until I'm 25. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. We're all responsible for our motivations and how we think and feel and act in this world. I mean, the diagnosis for the human race, whether we're religious people or not, is regeneration, is redemption, is resurrection, if you will, given a new identity in Christ, a you of a self to lose and a self to find. And that we can be our best self with God's help when we are made new in Christ. They can, we can be sanctified. We can be made holy in love in this life. Now, there are other people that would hear that, and maybe it's you, and go, I don't know about that. I don't know if we really need to be made holy. I feel like the human race is pretty good. If you think that, I encourage you to go turn on the news again and come back to me. But some people would think that. Just human nature is just fine. We don't need to be redeemed. Don't need to be restored. People's motives are fine. But I've, I had a friend just a few years ago who was attending sort of a non-Christian therapeutic deism uh, gathering, if you will, that was uh, religious of sorts. And they would say things to me like, um, I'm going to claim my own truth. I'm going to walk in my light. I'm going to do me. No one's really lost. Human nature is fine. Nothing needs to be redeemed or changed. And I told this person, you're telling me that you're ignoring the symptoms of the human nature and just trying to go for the cure that you've created yourself. 
that the truth is, is that we're not as we should be. And God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And the first step toward healing is to acknowledge that there is a disease. And so therefore you need to know the cure in order to be healed. Even Jesus said in Mark chapter two, he said, healthy people don't need a physician, but sick ones do. I did not come to call righteous people, but sinners. He came to call sinners, meaning people that acknowledge, I'm tired of having motivations that are impure. I'm, I'm tired of get, always getting it wrong, of always feel like I'm going upstream. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of that. I need to be made new. I'm tired of the old self. And I acknowledge that. Jesus says, I've come to call you. I've come to call you to follow me. And I'll make you new. I'll remake you and change your motivations. And that is good news. He's come to call freedom to the captive. Uh, forgiveness of sin. And the Bible has a lot to say about the state of our head and our heart and our gut or our instinct, if you will. That it does need redemption and regeneration. Redeemed motives. The heart, it says in uh, Proverbs 4, to guard our heart for from it is the wellspring of all life. Jeremiah 17, the heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? The mind, Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That God will renew the patterns of our thinking and get them more in line with the will of God. And the gut or the instinct of who we are, Proverbs 14, a way seems right to a person, but its way leads to death. So you could hear all that and go, what am I supposed to do? Doubt myself all day long and have no idea how to think or feel or act? No, no, not entirely. We think and we feel and act and we get it right sometimes, but we do it imperfectly. We do what we could also could say, we miss the mark with how we think and we feel and we act. And we need, help, we need God's help to find us, help us find the mark and to redeem our motivations. Now, what's really cool about the Enneagram is that it acknowledges the imperfections of our personality. And I appreciate, it sets it apart from every other personality test. That makes it very distinct because it acknowledges that we do have a self to lose and in turn have a self to find. And there is a center or mot core motivation that all of our personalities have that we tend to turn toward, particularly in times of stress or decision-making. So to quickly recap, here are the nine Enneagram types. I am not an Enneagram expert, <laughs> but I have read a little bit about it. Um, now, here's all the types. I, just so you know, I'm a nine with a one wing, which means you have wings because it helps you get, give you a bit more of the nuance of personality. Um, and so uh, hopefully you've been able to find yourself on this spectrum. We all land somewhere. And now I was able, many weeks ago, I just read the descriptions of the types and it felt like I had a pretty good idea. I felt like, I think I'm a nine, I'm pretty sure. And then I went and took a test list last week and the test totally affirmed what I thought was right. So there's a good chance what you're thinking you are, you very well could be. Um, now, when you look at each of these types, there's what they call a center or a core motivation um, to, well, there's, you'll see. Throw up the next image. That there's a center we tend, we tend to lean toward, a preferred intelligence center that helps us meet our basic needs. So with the nine types come nine centers of motivation. 
Again, I'm on the instinctive center. I'm on the top. Types 8, 9, and 1 are what's called the anger or the gut triad. These numbers tend to be driven by anger. An 8, which is the uh, challenger, will externalize their anger. They'll show it. They're not afraid to show it. A 9, me, a peacemaker, I t I'll ignore my anger because I want everybody to get along, right? Uh, a 1 will internalize their anger. They don't want to show it, but they're, yeah. All three take in and they respond to life, though, instinctually at a gut level. And I find that to be true with me. I do fit into that. They tend to express themselves honestly and directly. Also true. Now, types 2, 3, and 4 are in the feeling center, the heart center. These numbers are driven by feelings. Two will focus outwardly on the feelings of others, show empathy. Threes tend to have trouble recognizing their own or other people's feelings. And fours will concentrate their attention inwardly on their own feelings. Again, none of these are better or worse than any, anything else. They're just different flavors of people. They show the tapestry of who we are. But all three of these, they take in and they relate to life from the heart. And they're more image conscious than the other numbers. And lastly is the thinking center, sometimes called the fear center, because it's what these numbers are driven by. Fives will externalize their fear. Sixes will internalize. And sevens, because they like, to, uh, they like adventure, will forget their fear. But all three of these take in and relate to the world through the mind. They tend to think and plan carefully before they act. So, yeah, we think and we feel and we act. And maybe some of us, we lean toward one more than the other. And this is true. This is true for me. I'm in the instinctive center, and I do. I've always, like, like well, I feel it in my gut. Like, this, I'm going to go with that, right? And, but so I think that I know it's true, but then I also think there's got to be more. I don't, I don't just want that, right? I don't, there's more to this. I, 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 essentially want, I essentially want a redeemed motivation. I want to, I want to be driven by more than just a, a, a fear or anger or feelings. There has to be more to us than that as human beings. And what's, again, what's really cool about the Enneagram is that it gives us that, a picture of that. And it's this, it's called the spiritual center. And the center of that picture is another one. And it, in the middle of all those nine types, when the more you're in union with God and have a love-based relationship with God, we can exemplify and show the best of all nine of those types. We're not just motivated by uh, one or the other, but we can grow in love with God. Um, and it's what this, is, this is called the harmony triad. Now, essentially the only way to get this, the spiritual center in my pers perspective, is to be a new creation in Christ. We cannot grow, essentially we need God's help to show us how much we need God. We need the Holy Spirit to show us how much we need Jesus Christ in our lives. We have to have what we traditionally have called the new birth, or be born again by the Holy Spirit from above. And this only happens by the power of God. And John Wesley would preach about this, the founder of the Methodist Church would preach about this a lot. He has one classic sermon called Marks of the New Birth. Marks of the New Birth. And he's really just teaching about here are the fruits of a new creation in Christ. Someone who has experienced the love of God 
and the old self has gone, and the new self has come. And they have a redeemed sense of motivation that's driven by love of God and love of neighbor. And God does this in our hearts and our lives by faith. By faith, God does it. And John Wesley would preach about this in this sermon when he said, when you are a new creation in Christ, having a new birth from above, you will begin to love God. I have it up on the screen. You will begin to love God who has thus loved you as you never did love any creature. So God will help you love God more so that you are constrained to love all men as yourselves. God will grow your heart of love for all people around you with a love that is not only ever burning in your heart, it does, but then it flames out in all actions and conversations. It makes your whole life a labor of love. One continued obedience to these commands. He's quoting the Bible here. You, you, you want to be obedient to these commands. Be merciful as God is merciful. Be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. A redeemed sense of motivation, driven by the love of God, received by faith, a work of the Holy Spirit, done in your heart and life. If we choose to do so, he will do it. The new birth. A redeemed, you call it a harmony triad to fit in the Enneagram sort of language. Now, as I was thinking about this, about this idea of redeemed motivations, old self, new self, driven by the love of God, doing miraculous for, forgiving, uh, being Jesus in the world, feeling, loving, acting, thinking more like him than you did before. Billions of people have experienced that throughout the history of the world. But for some reason this week, a, a man came to my mind that made me think about who encapsulates this. And his name was Louis Zamperini. Has anybody ever heard of Louis Zamperini? He was a world-class, long-distance runner. And Louis Zamperini, he was uh, made famous in the nonfiction book, Unbroken. Maybe you've heard of that, Unbroken. It's one of the best books I've ever read. Highly recommend Unbroken. Incredible nonfiction book. And Louis Zamperini was born in poverty in Southern California in the early 20th century. He was, uh, you could say, a wild child. He did not, he cut school, he was disobedient, but he was really, really good at running. And he was so good at running, he was on the cusp of breaking the four-minute mile, the first person to ever do it. He was right at the break. He couldn't quite get there. But he went to the 1936 Berlin Olympics, and he ran with Jesse Owens. He so impressed Adolf Hitler that Adolf Hitler would shake his hand. Louis Zamperini is like Forrest Gump, okay? He's like, he's like Forrest Gump movie made real. Read this guy's life, truly. But World War II would interrupt Zamperini's dream. He wouldn't get to break the four-minute mile. He found himself serving on a, on a, a B-24 Liberator bomber flying over the Pacific Ocean that would get shot down. Only three men would survive in the crash, and they would spend 45 days on a raft in the Pacific Ocean. They would drift 2,000 miles, and one of the men would die of starvation. For decades, they held the record for the longest men who survived on a raft in the middle of the ocean. Talk about torturous. Beating off sharks, starvation, being strafed by Japanese aircraft would try and kill them while they're sitting in their boat. But then they would be captured by a Japanese boat. And then the real hell on earth would begin for Louis Zamperini. He would go into a POW camp near Tokyo, and the real devil for Louis would be a man named Mutsuhiro 
Watanabe, also known as the bird. The bird would then proceed to beat Louis Zamperini daily, savagely, and only a glimmer of faith would keep him alive during that time till the end of the war. He came home to a hero's welcome and married the girl of his dream. But then the wheels would fall off Louis Zamperini's life. He would seek solace in running, but an ankle injury from the POW camp made that impossible. His Olympic dream was finished and he would never run again. Devastated, he started drinking alcohol heavily. He had flashbacks. The raft or the prison camp would come back to his mind. He'd relive terrifying memories. He would simmer with rage. He would prov provoke fistfights with strangers on the street. He would even beat his own wife, Cynthia. He couldn't shake the sense of shame that had been beaten into him by the bird in that POW camp. Louis thought God was toying with him. Louis thought life was cruel and purposeless and harsh. When he heard preachers on the radio, he'd turn it off. He forbade his wife, Cynthia, to go to church. He would drink more and more heavily. Louis's rage would harden into a twisted ambition. He would return to Japan. He would hunt down the bird and strangle him to death with his own hands. He began to save money to do this work. It's the only way he could restore his dignity. He became obsessed, and, but his financial ventures kept failing. He tried to drown his sorrows in alcohol. His anger and hatred began to eat out his soul. He was devastated. He was broken. And then in 1949, the evangelist Billy Graham would host a series of meetings in downtown Los Angeles in a huge canvas tent, a rented circus tent, his wife, Cynthia, managed to get Louis to come to one of the meetings, but he refused. He walked out. He proceeded to come back the next day. And on the second night, Billy Graham asked people to come forward to give their lives to Jesus Christ, to be made a new creation in Christ. Louis stood up, but he stormed out the exit. But as he, he got to the end of the aisle, he stopped short, and he stood there, and he he suddenly was in a flashback and he was back in that raft in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It had not rained in days and they were dying of thirst. In anguish, he whispered a prayer to God and he said to God, if you will save me, I will serve you forever. And on that raft, rain began to fall. And standing in Billy Graham's tent, lost in this flashback, Louis felt the rain on his face. At that moment, he began to see his whole life differently. When he'd been trapped in the wreckage of the plane, somehow he got free. When the Japanese bomber had shot at them, somehow none of them had been hit with bullets. When the bird had beaten him to the breaking point and he prayed for help, somehow he found the strength to keep breathing. And on that day on the raft, he had prayed for rain and God provided rain. Louis' conviction that he was forsaken was gone. It was replaced by a belief that divine love had been all around him. And that night, in that tent, the bitterness and the pain that had haunted him had vanished. And his motivations completely were transformed. He wasn't motivated by anger or fear or revenge any longer. But God did a miracle in his soul. He invited Christ 
in his life. He and Cynthia remained married, and they had a family. He became close friends with Billy Graham. The author of the book Unbroken would go on to say when she was interviewing Louis, she was struck by how infectiously cheerful he was. About the, he would talk about the cruelty of his captors without even a trace of bitterness. He asked how he could speak so easily of such vicious men. And he simply would say, I've forgiven them. In 1950, he would return to Tokyo, seeking to seek out the prison guards that he had been under, and he forgave them of what they had done to him. He even asked about the bird, and he was told that the bird had killed himself. Louis would not return to Tokyo for another until 1998, when Louis Zamperini was asked to be a torchbearer at the Nagano Winter Games. He offered to meet the bird again, who apparently had not killed himself, but was actually very much alive. But the bird refused to meet with him. Zamperini even prepared a letter to be given to the bird, which was delivered. And in part, it stated, I have committed my life to Jesus Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. When you hear this story, people that say God isn't real, they're wrong. It's a miracle, a transformed motivation, replacing hate and bitterness and division with holy love. How is that possible? Me and you, it's not. We can't, I can't generate that. My love gets very conditional very quickly, and so does yours when we try and do it ourselves. But when God does it, we become a vessel. It's like Paul said in 2 Corinthians. The way we show this power is from God, not from us. We're just jars of clay. We're just vessels for the love of God to move through. That's the role of Christians in this world. Stop placing so much burden on yourself to feel like we're the Messiahs. We're not. Only he can take a washed-up alcoholic, overcome by PTSD and extreme trauma, and transform this man who is able to forgive the unforgivable in somebody else. He had encountered a love that transcended description, and it so wrecked his life that his motivations were made holy. When John Wesley said, you can be perfect in love in this life, he meant it because it's possible by God to do it in our hearts, in our lives. You can never discredit the testimony of a transformed life when motivations are made holy and perfect and renewed. I don't fully understand this. I can't explain it, but it's real. It happened to me when I was 20 years old. God totally transformed my heart and my life. He said, said to me, let me into your heart, and I did. And a peace swept over me I've never felt before. You begin to care about the thing God, things God cares about. You begin to think about the things that God thinks about. You begin to feel like Christ. You're a new creation. This is one of the hallmarks of the gospel. The old is gone. The new has come. You are a new creation. Paul would write about this exhaustively in 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of my favorite Bible verses. He said this, So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. 
Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. God loves to make things new. Revelation 21.5, God says, Behold, Jesus says this on the throne, Behold, I am making all things new. And God wants to start with you. He wants to start with me. Whatever that is old that is dragging you down, let it go. Because he wants to make you new. He wants to make us new. Either he makes us new now or he makes us new on the other side of heaven. Other side of death, I mean. Let God transform our motivations to make us a holy and happy people and really make us whole again. Somebody listening is feeling broken inside. And God wants to make you whole. The Holy Spirit can make you whole from the inside out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I know there's a lot of people listening who are believers in you, and I know that there's some maybe who aren't. And I pray for anyone watching that has never given their life to you before, Lord, that they would see and know that they can give their life to you today, Jesus, that we can be a new creation in Christ, that we can lay aside the old way and live a new life of holy love driven by you living within us as king of our heart and our lives. And that we can pray a prayer right now and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Make me new. And we do that by faith. And we can pray that prayer and maybe feel nothing. And that's okay. Because we're not doing it by feeling. We're trusting you by faith. Your word says the righteous will live by faith. So God, no matter who we are or where we've come from today, no matter what we're facing, make us new. Heal us from the inside out. Be the king of our heart. God, I know a lot of us, we just want the old ways to go. Maybe we have to live through the ramifications of what we've done. That might be true. But God, give a peace. Give a peace to each soul listening right now. Heal and restore. Redeem our motivations so that they are pure and pleasing in your sight, God. Because we confess we repent. We can't do it in our own strength. Only you can do it through us. We love you, God. Thank you for you so loved the world that you gave your only son. And that all that trust in you will not die, but taste eternal life. Be the king, O oh God, that you are. Let us, like we turn toward the sun to receive its life, we turn toward you, O oh God, to receive your life in this day. In Jesus' name we do pray.